in today's show, we're talking Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, this is a team that got to the Western Conference Finals. Let's talk about what changed, what we're looking at, the things that are important for the Lakers for this upcoming season. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Fangio Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit Fangio.com slash Locked On today to get started. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. So we're here to talk Lakers. So we might as well do it. We're going to bring in Andy Kamenetsky of the Locked On Lakers podcast. Welcome back to the show, Andy. Hey, how are you, man? It's good. I'm, I'm good. It's good to have you here. It's good to talk some Lakers because they are a team that obviously was very, very weird, interesting, different all through last season. And... It's not just a, a matter of continuing it over from last season because we saw them make big changes at the trade deadline. Things started to click. They rolled through to the Western Conference Finals, got swept. Yes, but yeah, there were some close games in there. But that's not the team that's back this it's a season. a pretty competitive series for a sweep. It, it was. I, I didn't really think the Nuggets were in danger of losing it, personally, from a neutral perspective, but it, they weren't. They weren't, you know, 20-point games. Neither did I from my bias perspective. <laughs> but it, it was close. And yeah, where that takes me is... They did that. They improved. They got better. The main guys got healthy. And then there's still a bunch of changes that happened this offseason because look at that list of guys. Gabe Vincent comes in. Torian Prince. Jackson Hayes. Cam Reddish. Jalen hood Shafino, Maxwell Lewis in the draft. Colin Castleton. There's Demoy Hodge they signed as a two-way. I've, I've highlighted Castleton because I think he's a good player. But that's a lot of guys. And then Shaq Harrison got some minutes at the end of the season. But Dennis Schroeder, Malik Beasley, Troy Brown, Lonnie Walker, Mo Bamba, Wenyan Gabriel... A lot of those are rotation players, especially Schroeder, Beasley, Brown. Walker was for most of the season as well. Bumba, yeah, not really. But that's four rotation guys out of this team. And they bring in a bunch of players. Now, a lot of people love what the Lakers did in the offseason. I think a lot of that, Andy, is how they got Austin Reeves on what probably is a below-market deal. But that doesn't make them... There's no probably. It's that, below. I, I think it could end up one of the best deals in the league I, by I, the time it's I done with that contract. I think he's going to be really good. I yes, yeah, so the probably was unnecessary. But I think when people look at the Lakers offseason, they look at that. But re-signing Austin Reeves on a cheaper contract than he would have got elsewhere doesn't necessarily make the team better. So the question is, are they better? Is Vincent Prince Hayes Reddish an upgrade over Schroeder, Beasley, Brown, and Walker? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I, I think at worst, because remember, too, they also retained D'Angelo Russell. They also retained uh, Rui Hachimura. Those were two big guys as far as that core that they wanted to maintain that continuity. At minimum this offseason, the Lakers held serve. Like, I think it is impossible to make an argument that they got worse. I actually think they got better because Gabe Vincent, I think, is – he is comparable to Dennis Schroeder. I think there I mean, are certain fair. things. I think there are certain things Schroeder does better in terms of being. I think he's a more dynamic overall scorer. He's certainly better at getting to the rim. 
and putting pressure that way than Gabe Vincent is. Uh, Gabe Vincent has been a slightly, but not necessarily uh, sustainably so far for his career, better outside shooter than Schroeder. But he, if nothing else, is coming off a really good playoffs where he was good from outside. If if he can level it even somewhere around 35%, that will be an upgrade over, I think, what you can expect from Dennis Schroeder, who's not a great outside shooter himself. They're both very good defenders. They're both very defensively oriented. So I think particularly with bringing back D'Angelo Russell, Gabe Vincent for Schroeder, I think, is basically a neutral, um, probably a wash. But that's a good thing because Schroeder had a good season for the Lakers. From there on out, you're talking about Torian Prince, who I think in a lot of ways is uh, a substitute for both, a replacement for both Malik Beasley and Troy Brown. Yep. Like he is a sub for Malik Beasley offensively and a sub for Troy Brown defensively. And I think he's an upgrade over both. And he also, too, provides some size along the wing defensively that the Lakers were really lacking last season. They, were, they had a lot of difficulties in terms of some of the matchups when it came to stopping threes and fours, slowing them down. And I think Torian Prince will help a lot there. And he is a very well-established outside shooter. Jackson Hayes is a wild card, to be totally honest. And he's maybe the biggest concern I have in the rotation just because for the time being, they don't have really anybody established at all behind Anthony Davis. You know, like Cam, if Cam Reddish doesn't pop, to be honest, unless unless there are a lot of injuries, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's it's a very low cost, low risk, hopefully high reward move. You know, if nothing else, it gets clutch off their back to, you know, <laughs> they finally they finally brought in Cam Reddish. It's like, three years I, in the making. I, yeah, I, I joke that uh, there's that scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off where Ferris is trying to get uh, Cameron to go on the day off with him and to pick him up in the Ferrari. And Cameron's sitting in his car and he's going, he'll keep calling, keep calling. All right, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. That's what I picture Rob Palenka with Rich Paul. He's like, he'll keep calling. Okay, fine, we'll we'll give him a veteran's minimum. Like they gave up nothing to get Cam Reddish. So that's not that important, but Jackson Hayes has an actual role on this team. Mm. But the flip side is, he is replacing Mo Bamba, who was injured for most of his time with the Lakers. I think they were genuinely intrigued by what they possibly had in him, but he wasn't really available. And, you know, Mo Bamba is a very unestablished, inconsistent player himself, albeit one with some degree of promise. And I like Wenyan Gabriel, and I don't think it's impossible that they could bring Wenyan Gabriel back. I think he plays a role well, but he's not an irreplaceable player, even if I think he was a little bit underrated for what he did with the team last year. And Lonnie Walker started the season strong, faded some, had one outstanding playoff game against Golden State. But the truth is he was fairly inconsistent, and I wouldn't have minded them bringing him back, but I also don't particularly mind him not returning either. So I think Vincent and Torian Prince by themselves represent an upgrade over what is missing. But like I said, at worst, the Lakers held serve. And they held serve with a team that went to the Western Conference Finals. I I tend to I tend to agree that they, they held serve because I just think what I was pushing back on is the, this talk that they got extraordinarily better. And I think a lot of that is retaining Rui, D'Angelo, and Austin Reeves, which doesn't make you better. It keeps you the same. It stops you from getting yeah. worse, which is 
a different thing than getting better. It's still important, but it's a different thing than getting better. Now, the Lakers always confuse me when I try and judge them because they just always seem to go for the players that I just categorically think are bad. I think Lonnie Walker's bad, right? And I thought he proved that he was the same guy that I always thought he was. I think Mo Bumba's bad. But then they replace him with Cam Reddish and Jackson Hayes, who I also think are bad. So I, go, I, I don't know that that's an upgrade. Like, I, I, Who's worse, Cam Reddish or Lonnie Walker? I don't know. And the worry, yeah, is, is Jackson Hayes. Like, I don't know if he plays. And that's why I wanted to bring up Colin Castleton. I think he might be a better player already, and I'd love to see them give him that opportunity. He's on a two-way. That will be something to watch for me, but I do agree that probably out of, out of that group, Gabe Vincent is probably the best player there. Torian Prince gives the idea that he's a fantastic defender. I don't think that that's necessarily true in reality, but he does look like he's a good defender. He has moments. I think he's, I think he's solid. Mm. If nothing else, he's not a net minus. Like He's somebody that you can put out there. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. He is... I think he's reliable. He's reliable, like not just in terms of what he does on the court, but he's reliable in terms of predictability. Like yeah. he's somebody that I think you can put out there and just have an idea of what he's going to be doing. And if nothing else, I think he is an upgrade over both Beasley and Brown, who by the end of the playoffs were both out of the rotation. Yeah, because Brown's offense is pretty bad, and Beasley's defense is horrendous. And yes. you know, while you know, uh, Prince's shooting isn't what Beasley's can be, and his defense isn't what Brown's can be, like. You can't play two guys in one position. So I get that. Like right. you're sort of condensing the skills. You're cutting 25% off either end and putting him in there. And it makes a lot of sense in that yeah. area. But the, uh, my major highlight is just that this team did this and then they changed so much still with the rotation, whether they're improvements or not, I don't know. But it's not it's not a huge bunch of stability through the back end of the bench. But that does take us to the big things that we've got to talk about. Anthony Davis and LeBron James both had foot issues last season. Did they end up having any off-season surgeries? We have not been informed about anything, okay. at least publicly, to yeah. my knowledge. I, I was out of the country last week, so maybe this came up while I was in Mexico. I unplugged, Josh. I, I paid no attention to anything. Andy, I asked you this question because I hadn't heard anything either. I thought, did I miss something? Did, did, did we get this announced? Like I thought that it was going to happen, but I've heard nothing either. So I just think either it didn't happen or we just haven't been told. And maybe first day of you know, media day in training camp, we'll hear, yeah, he's recovering from his surgery. Because it did seem like, especially LeBron, after you're just playing, coming back and playing through that, it didn't seem right all through the playoffs that it probably would need something done to fully heal it. But we haven't heard. So we have, uh, I guess maybe that's going to be revealed to us later on. Well, uh, you know, it's day. funny, Josh. LeBron actually said, if I did have surgery, you guys aren't going to find out until <laughs> I want you to find out. And if, we, you know, the LeBron James of, of feet, oh. whoever that is, whoever <laughs> that doctor is, we still don't even know who this guy is. So, like, if, if we can't even figure out who the LeBron James of feet is, because I, I got to be honest, if I was this doctor, I'd want everyone to know. Yeah. I, I, and also, I, I think that's been kept secret. And usually the most reliable source of leaking LeBron medical info has actually been Dennis Schroeder. Um, <laughs> and Schroeder's now on a different team. So we're, we're losing another source there. I was getting ready to make a LeBron James of feet joke, but I, I don't know who the doctor... The only people who would qualify to be the LeBron James of feet to me are Rex Ryan or Quentin Tarantino. And I don't think they're, I don't think they're out there performing surgeries. Well, I hope they're not I anyway. <laughs> I'm a big fan of uh, Tarantino's work. I really hope that's not who LeBron's saying. <laughs> I look, let, let's LeBron works works differently sometimes, and it's had great success. So maybe 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 Quentin's in there just 
I don't know. I don't want to get down that. We're going to talk more stuff in a second, Andy. But today's episode is brought to you by Fangio Sportsbook. Football season has kicked off, and Fangio is giving you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you get bonus bets every time that they win in the regular season. Pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and every regular season victory they get, it adds up in your bonus bets. Now, Andy, the Rams, the Chargers, which one of those teams is going to get more regular season victories? Uh, that's the Chargers. <laughs> that's not even debatable. No, it is. It is the Chargers. So if you want to put a Super Bowl winner bet on the Chargers, you get a few of those extra bonus bets through their regular season victories. And then you use those bonus bets on spreads or money lines, player props, over-unders, whatever it is. You can use all those bonus bets. So go to fanjulcom slash locked on and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's fanjulcom slash locked on. And don't forget to gamble responsibly. Andy, you sent me through an email about your projected starting five. And you said, oh, I'm going to go against the grain here. And I love it because it's exactly what I think the Lakers are going to do as well and what I think they should do. D'Angelo Russell, yeah. Austin Reeves, LeBron James, Jared Vanderbilt, and Anthony Davis. And the question there is Vanderbilt because everybody, apart from apparently you and me, seems to think that's going to be Rui Hachimura. Yeah, I mean, there's a case that can be made for Rui Hachimura. It seems to be the consensus in terms of I think both media and fan expectation. And if they went with Rui, I don't think it's nonsensical or anything like that. The reason, though, that I, I would like to see it be Jared Vanderbilt is twofold. First of all, I actually think you can get more from Rui as a player off the bench, making him the first sub probably in for Jared Vanderbilt. And you give him more opportunities to play with either LeBron or Anthony Davis, but not necessarily both. You know, more time that you're, he's spending without D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves, one or the other, but not necessarily both. If you, you have more of an opportunity to make Rui uh, a focal point of the offense, that's ultimately what you're paying him that $17 million for. Like, to me, the idea that he's getting $17 million doesn't also automatically mean he should start. Like, you need, you need to get $17 million of value from him, but you need to just get it. And I think he can play 30 minutes or so off the bench, and he can close games, and he can provide that value. But I actually think you can potentially get more from Rui. But on top of that, I think you can get more opportunities for both Jared Vanderbilt and Torian Prince if one of them ends up starting in kind of a perfunctory 15-ish minute starting role. And with Vanderbilt in particular, you have the opportunity to put him on the small forwards that you don't want LeBron guarding. You can put him on some of the point guards that you don't want D'Angelo Russell guarding, or maybe you don't even want Austin Reeves guarding because you want to conserve some of his energy offensively or you want him to be more of a trailing defender, that sort of thing. I think you give yourself the most optionality defensively by starting Jared Vanderbilt I saw, obviously, like everybody, the issues that happened during the playoffs with Vanderbilt getting played off the court. You know, he he's not really much of an offensive threat. But in all honesty, I think Vanderbilt's issues, and I understand why Darvin Ham took him off the took him out of the rotation, and I don't have an issue with it. I think it was the movie ultimately had to made because the Lakers were having more issues scoring than defending. But I think that was more about D'Angelo Russell. Dennis Schroeder, Lonnie Walker, even LeBron and AD, their inability to make jump shots, I think was more of a problem than Jared Vanderbilt's inability to make jump shots or to score. That's not why he's out there. 
Mm. Like, in a lot of ways, I think Jared Vanderbilt, in his own right, did his job more to you know the requirements of it than these other guys. And I think the struggles of these other guys magnified Jared Vanderbilt's offensive shortcomings more than Vanderbilt himself, if that makes sense. I, like he, I he's not that. out there to score. Yeah, and when the other guys are struggling to score, you go, well, we need more scoring out there. So that's what yeah, Rui Hachimura and Lee Well, it also it becomes really easy to ignore Vanderbilt if the other guys aren't scoring. Exactly. But if the other guys are scoring, Vanderbilt, I think, is actually very smart at using his lack of gravity as a weapon because we saw in the regular season when other guys were making more shots – he would often make these back cuts when he was being completely ignored and get found for bas- you know, for baskets right at the rim because he wasn't being paid attention to. But that can only happen when the other guys are making shots and there's just more space in general. Just tying back into the overall narrative that it seems like nearly every player the Lakers get is a player that I just don't think is very good or is overrated. That's where I am with Rui Hachimura and I always have been. He comes out and he can have some okay games, but he started one game in the playoffs. He played 42 minutes. He had 10 points. No steals, no assists, no blocks. Didn't hit a three. He had some okay games, and he's very hot and cold. But his his role is like this weird sort of mid range scorer. When you got D'Angelo Russell, who's going to be a scorer, and Austin Reeves, who works offensively and scores, and then there's LeBron, who's going to have a gigantic offensive load, and then the other guy's Anthony Davis, who's a good defender, but he's also a very good offensive player. Like, why do I need another guy who sort of his only real skill is is offensively. Like it's getting some mid-range shots to go in when those other four guys should be doing that. So while they did go that way in the in the playoffs, and I, your explanation of it is really, really good, I think, I just don't... That doesn't make a ton of sense. Like Kachimura next to D'Angelo and Reeves and LeBron and Davis doesn't make a ton of sense for 82 games. Well, I, I mean, we'll see how things play out during the season. And, you know, if if... Reeves continues to make the progress that he's been showing in a very short amount of time. And if D'Angelo Russell can bounce back from what was a very, very poor Western Conference Finals, but I thought his first two rounds, he was somewhere between solid to good, depending on the games. Um, I thought there was definitely more good than bad. Rui, it's going to be, I'm bullish on Rui, but a lot of that has to do with, I think he plays specifically very well with LeBron and or AD and sometimes both. I think a lot of what has been discovered he can do well comes from either playing off those guys. He is very decisive when he gets the ball. You know, he one of the things that he does extremely well is when he gets the ball, he either shoots it or he makes a drive to the basket, like maybe one pump fake and then he goes or he moves the ball. He does not screw around. And I think that works very well for an offense that's designed to keep moving, especially with somebody like LeBron, who once you get the ball back, he's already anticipated the next place it's going to go. And defensively, they unlocked a lot in him that frankly had not been there with Rui before. They found a very good way to use him in terms of bodying guys, which is why he was defensively, I think, pretty effective against both Memphis and Denver because those teams are pretty big versus Golden State. He didn't have as much utility because they're so guard and wing heavy and there there was a lot of chasing guys around screens and things like that, and that's just not Rui's strong suit. But he's really, really strong and really, really yes. athletic. And I think I think one of the things the Lakers did very well, and you know they have a really, really good development program there led by Phil Handy, I think they're very good at finding the strengths of young players 
and really looking to hone in on them. And by all accounts, Rui was asking a lot of questions, like specifically to LeBron, but I think also AD, Phil Handy, Darvin Ham. Just what do you need from me? How do I do it better? You know, we'll see how this looks over the course of 82 games and playoffs and however long he's with the team. But I'm very bullish in terms of what seemed to be unlocked from February onward with Rui because it just seemed like he was playing with more stability than he had with Washington because the Wizards are one of the least stable organizations in the NBA. He was playing with a lot more structure. He was playing with LeBron and AD, two elite players. And it also seemed like he was dying for a fresh start. I think Rui needed... I think Rui needed a new environment, whether it was going to be with the Lakers or somewhere else. You know, he he had that undisclosed mental health break that I have no idea what it was about, much less how much at all it was related to the Wizards. But it just makes you wonder if he just needed to be somewhere else. And so far, so good with the Lakers. I really like what we saw from him. His regular season and playoff numbers are quite stark. Not to harp too much about Rui, but sure. he, he only took two, att- two three-point attempts per game in the regular season in 22 minutes, which is nowhere near enough, and he shot it under 30%. So yeah, that, that's obviously horrible. But in the playoffs, the attempts didn't really change, 2.4, but he hit 49% of his threes. Now, I think if you bank on him being a good three-point shooter, you're probably going to come out on the negative side of that ledger most of the time because throughout his career, he sort of hasn't really been consistent there. But what I what he does need to do, though, and this is part of my thing why I'm not sure how it fits, is that he needs to take more threes. Like, he just doesn't take enough of them to be a guy to play off LeBron and Davis and D'Lo and these guys. Like, he's just he just doesn't do it enough. And the results are a sort of up and down. Um, the rest of the rotation, we've got Rui there. In that bench group, Gabe Vincent, Max Christie, Torian Prince, Jackson Hayes. So yeah, Prince might, there's an opportunity for him to start. Would there? Would it be completely wild if Gabe Vincent got starting minutes over D'Angelo Russell or they went Vincent Russell Reeves, James Davis, or could even Max Christie, who's taken huge steps forward you know, over the offseason, look great in summer league. He's probably got enough size to maybe play the three at times. I would say that four of those guys have... Shots at starting, maybe two of them more outside shots. Christie, I think, is a dark horse possibility at the three. You're right. He he does have the size. He told Dave McMenamin of ESPN during his exit interview that he actually grew over mm. the course of the season. Um, and he has really filled out. Like Christie looks demonstratively stronger and bigger. He said that he put on about 10 to 15 pounds of muscle from basically his rookie offseason to the offseason heading into his second year, and you can absolutely see it. Um, I think it's premature to pencil him in there, but I I agree with you that it's not out of the question. Um, I don't anticipate Gabe Vincent starting just – unless his three-point shot is really what we saw in the playoffs and his playmaking is – a little bit more dynamic than what we've seen over the course of his career. What I do think could happen with Gabe Vincent is, you know, because a lot of starting versus coming off the bench, whatever, it's about floor combinations. It's not always about necessarily your five best players. What I do think could happen a lot for Gabe Vincent is that he could end up finishing games, certainly more than D'Angelo Russell, because he's more reliable defensively than Russell. And a lot those mistakes defensively down the stretch of close games, I think hurt you more than misses offensively. So I I 
I don't anticipate Gabe Vincent starting. I don't think it's out of the question, I guess. But I, And I think he'll get a real shot at it. And, you know, the same argument that I made about Rui coming off the bench, I think you could make for D'Angelo Russell. You know, the idea that you could maybe get more out of him if he's basically a, a souped-up six-man. Um, Reeves, LeBron, AD, those are three starters. Absolutely. Yeah. I, would, I would be shocked. It, I mean, obviously, LeBron and AD. <clears throat> I'd be shocked if Reeves doesn't start. Um, I don't anticipate, though, Vincent I, starting, but I do think he's going to have a very big role. He's, uh, I think he's an interesting player. To me, he's not quite the same, but a little like a Fred Van Vliet corollary, like a hard nose, def- puts his body in defensively. He might miss some shots, but he takes the good volume with his threes, can get hot. He's not obviously Fred, Vliet, uh, Fred Van Vliet's level, but Fred Van Vliet wasn't always Fred Van Vliet's level either. Quickly, I'm just looking up you know, Max Christie's size. Did you did you know what his real name is? Because I am I am flawed that his name is not Max. Did you know there's a, he's got a different name? I used to know this and I've forgotten because I remember being like, whoa. Yep. His name is Cormac Carl Christie Jr. Yes. There yes. You go. I forgot about that. Old CC, Cormac Christie. There you go. Yeah, it's basically him and the author, Those are Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> They're the only two Cormacs I've ever heard of. Let's look at the young players on this team. We've talked about a couple. These are all the guys under age 23. Max Christie, their first-round draft pick, Jalen hood Shafino, Their second-round draft pick, Al- uh, Maxwell Lewis, and then Alex Fudge just recently signed. Two or two-way after they waived Cole Swider. Um, hood Shafino, I thought, struggled in summer league. He definitely looked way worse than uh, Max Christie, who was playing pretty well out there. Um, and there's just no need for him to be in the rotation with Vincent and D'Angelo uh, on, on this team. So it's going to be... And the Lakers, you're right, they're very good at developing. So he's going to be getting some South Bay time, I'm guessing, um, just, to, just to, to work on that. And then we'll see what ends up happening with the D'Angelo Russell contract. But I don't imagine we see a ton of Hood Shafino this season. No, I'd be pretty surprised if he plays. If he plays a lot, it means things are going incredible or things really went sideways. Like there is... No in-between scenario for JHS playing a lot. It means either the Lakers are rolling or they are really struggling specifically with injuries. I, I don't think there's an in-between scenario that exists. Yeah, because like it's just yeah, he's not ready, and we'll see what happens. But yeah, yeah, we give them. I don't, time I don't to think they, twenty. I don't think they drafted him with the anticipation of him being ready either. I, I think they drafted him because there was no draft day deals that they liked and they ultimately decided to go for talent and you know they don't have a young point guard on the roster that they can look to develop and you know if nothing else what i do think could help uh jhs if he did need to play is everybody seems to agree that he's got really good defensive instincts and he's really strong like you you could see that on the court he's a strong dude and if nothing else, I think he might be able to play a little bit defensively, like eight minutes a game where he doesn't completely screw things up. And I, I don't mean that as a backhanded compliment. I, that's something that could make him playable. It's going to be very intriguing to see how, how these guys go because, again, their track record of developing young players has been really, really strong. Um, let me ask you, well, I was going to ask you that question, but we already talked about that. But let's talk about this now. Who plays more games, Anthony Davis or LeBron James? Boy, the answer better be AD. <laughs> like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna try to wish cast this into existence, Josh. Anthony Davis, like, please let it be Anthony Davis. It, w- it needs to be Anthony Davis. What it was, it was Anthony Davis by one game 
last season. There you go, fifty six versus fifty five. So Davis did get the edge there slightly, but I would I would expect it to be Davis. But you know, you you're always it, in a who knows situation. Cannot emphasize this enough. It needs to be Anthony Davis. So you're you're telling me now you are definitively telling us that Anthony Davis is the Lakers' best player. I am definitively telling you that Anthony Davis needs to be their best player. I think, um, I think and I think we saw a lot of signs last season. There were moments where Anthony Davis looked like the best player on the team, and the Lakers are at their best when Anthony Davis looks like the best player on the team and performs like the best player on the team. They The expectation when they brought in Anthony Davis was that by now this wouldn't even be mm. something that we're still trying to figure out. The anticipation was – AD would be the engine of the metaphorical car while LeBron would be the guy steering it. Yes, and yeah, there's been plenty of reasons why that hasn't been the case. And I think you can argue with this or correct me or pat me on the back or whatever. I think that the thing that Anthony Davis needs to do to, to be that guy this season is just consistency. Like he just seems like there's weird games where he just disappears offensively or he's just not doing it. Like LeBron is the same thing every night, right? It's just, you know what you're getting, right? Whereas Davis will have these huge games. He has like seven blocks and 30 points and 12 rebounds. And then he's like 10 points and takes 10 shots. It's just, it just seems to me from the outside that he just, this level of consistency for him wasn't quite where it needed to be. Yeah. It's an interesting thing with AD because I, I understand that that's a very common perception of him. And I think there is some level of truth to it. Um, if nothing else, AD needs to be a much more either aggressive or involved fourth quarter presence mm. offensively. Like, I mean, that's the numbers have borne that out. Like in the fourth quarter, he is not nearly dominant or involved enough as a scorer. I think that's something that really needs to change. And AD sometimes, even when the numbers are there, there will be games where it doesn't necessarily feel like he put his stamp on it. And some of that may just be the expectations of uh, on a guy that is that talented. What I do think is interesting about it, though, with AD, specifically when it comes to scoring, because defensively, he's pretty much nails every night. Like Anthony Davis mm -hmm. is often more often than not spectacular defensively on this team, and he's pretty consistent that way. You know, he he plays defensive player of the year caliber defense more often than he doesn't. What I think is interesting, though, about AD offensively is a lot of the perceived shortcomings or th when it doesn't feel like it's enough is, I think, very specific to playing with LeBron and LeBron's needs at this stage of his career and trying to lessen that load on LeBron, given that he's going to be turning 39, given that he's heading his 21st season, given that his playoff mileage alone is the equivalent of about six seasons, and trying to trying to take some of that burden off him. And if LeBron was 32, everybody would be looking at AD scoring and saying, that's unfair. That is unfair that you're giving that to LeBron James. AD averaged 26 and a half points in the regular season last year. Mm. And I think about 23 in the playoffs. Like, that's not nothing. You know what I mean? And as a number two guy on a team, that's pretty damn good the problem i think with it with ad and i'm not even trying to alleviate him from responsibility because you need you need him to meet this role but i do think a lot of the questions about ad uh when it comes to scoring 
is really tied to specifically playing with LeBron at this stage of his career. Yeah, it's okay. it, it is it is the big thing that's going to drive this team is these two staying healthy and can AD alleviate some of the load on LeBron be able to push this team further forward. But the next question is is that we're going to touch on this a little bit later. Maybe we still do. Daniel Russell, the contract that they re-signed him to just felt like it was just as is usual in D'Angelo Russell's career, he's just being signed as a placeholder to be traded. That's how it felt. And if that is the case, what would they be looking to get back? Another point guard? Like, what's what's their what's their aim here? Another point guard? Another some center depth help? Would they want to split it into two rotation players? Like, what would be... Again, maybe I'm completely off on this that he was re-signed at that number. And the fact that he... Yeah, when he was re-signed, he said, don't worry about this implied no trade clause. I'm, I'm fine with it. That would seem to be part of the negotiation. That it's, he's here for now, but it's not, you know, if he, in February, he's probably not on the team, maybe. But what, yeah. would, they, what would they want to do? What would they want to switch him into? Well, I, I think you are correct in terms of reading, you know, the, the no trade clause. I think that was something that D'Lo gave up in exchange for having the second year of his deal being a player option as opposed to a team option because that gives D'Lo more control moving forward, but he surrenders that control in terms of the Lakers being able to move him. So, you know, there's give and take. Look, D'Lo has spent basically his entire career on the block. You know, when he got signed, that sign and trade to Golden State, I mean, D'Lo is many things. He's not stupid. He's a bright guy. He can recognize the Nets wanted Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant wanted to go there, forcing his way there. The Warriors did not want to give up that salary slot, so they needed to trade in somebody that would be a comparable-ish salary to Kevin Durant. That was D'Angelo Russell, and you know that was him moving around. You know that that contract was as much being in the right place at the right time, if not more, than what he had actually produced on the court. Even though he played well in Brooklyn, like he was not a he did not play $30 million a year well mm. in Brooklyn. That was situational that worked out well for D'Lo. I think D'Lo is perfectly aware that he could end up getting moved at some point. Um, I imagine he's maybe not okay with it, but he's at peace with it. I think he just knows the score by now. Again, D'Lo is a bright guy. He, he gets it. Um, as far as what they'd want, I don't know. And I'm not trying to be a cop cop out with the answer. I think you really can't know until you see how the season plays out. If the season plays out really well. It wouldn't shock me at all if D'Lo finishes the year with them, because mm. why rock the boat with things that are going well? And you know, as polarizing a player as D'Angelo Russell has been his entire career, and as much as you know, fans can be very critical of. He's got a bit of foot and mouth disease. Um, there, there are things that I, I think he could be a little more political in terms of the way he talks about stuff. The reality is Delo's a good player. Is he a great player? No, but he's good. Mm. You know, he's on the upper end of good. He is a starting caliber point guard if you consider him a one. He is a starting caliber shooting guard if you consider him a two. You know, is he on the low end of starting? Perhaps, but he's still starting caliber. That's a good player. You know, he... When the Lakers played well last year, post-deadline, generally speaking, D'Angelo Russell played pretty well. And, you know, he is a legit third or fourth option, you know, both as a scorer and as a playmaker. Those guys are really good. Like, I think we sometimes 
underrate how good you have to be in order to be a third or fourth option on a quality team. Delo's that level of player. Um, he's always going to rub some guys the wrong way because he's not good defensively. He can run hot and cold offensively. He's very streaky as a shooter. But when he's on, Delo can bury teams. Like we, he had a game. I don't remember which game it was against Golden State, but he got on a roll in the third quarter and it got the Lakers back into the game and eventually a win in the closeout game in the first round against Memphis. He had, I think, 31 points. Like when D'Lo gets going, he can really get going, and that's helpful. It is, it is, and it'd be very. He's always he's always bouncing around in these areas. It's just gonna be really interesting to see how they deal with that. What about? Um, I think we've probably covered it, but breakout candidate. Who would you say that is? I I, I think I know who I would pick. Well, I think a lot of people would pick Austin Reeves, mm. but I feel like he's already in the process of having broken out from yeah, last season. I agree, and whatever blossoms this year on top of it feels like it was already in progress. And I think by now everybody has bought into Austin Reeves so much that maybe I'm getting semantic about this, but I don't consider it a breakout if everybody's expecting it to happen. To me, the guy's Max Christie. Mm. Um, that's, that's who I think. He too. looked, he looked really good in summer league and I know it's summer league and I know you got to see this against all NBA players. But I think it's often significant when second-year players dominate Summer League. Like that, When rookies struggle in Summer League, to be honest, I don't really care. No, I yeah. think that's pretty normal. Yeah. But when second-year players struggle, that's a big red flag. But I think also when second-year players look like the best player on the court, which Max Christie often did, it can be significant. And he was in the rotation for the first half of last season – before they upgraded the team and they were really looking to make a very difficult play in push. And he stopped, he was out of the rotation at that point. And I don't blame Darvin Ham for doing that because coaches are going to lean on experience and they want to start using the guys that they just brought in. But I would not have had a problem with Christie continuing to play. His defensive instincts are really good. He shot very well from outside on very low volume, which is not easy to do, particularly for young players who usually need to touch the ball a little more often to you know to feel comfortable when they're out there he's very very mature like when you hear christy talk he does not sound like a 20 year old he sounds like an old soul like he actually sometimes he sounds like kobe did when kobe was young and was very intellectually and professionally mature for his age christy by all accounts works his ass off asks tons and tons of questions really wants to be good, but I think he's also realistic about what he wants. You know, he was, ta he was talking about this offseason, his goals, and he said he wants to be in the rotation. Mm. Like it wasn't even, you know, most improved player or sixth man of the year or start. It was just, I want to be in the rotation. I think it's, you know, there might be an, uh, an issue of under promise over deliver, you know, best case scenario, but I think he's going to be in the rotation and he provides a lot of really good things that they need at like the two, three spot on this team. I, you know, I think he'll be maybe the equivalent of like an eighth guy, but that matters, you know, seventh, eighth guy. I, I think, I think they are expecting him to be in the rotation. And that says a lot about a 20 year old second round pick in his second season. Yeah, look, I, I agree. He's going going to be, he'd be my pick as well. Cause I, I agree that Reeves has already sort of done that. And, 
Christie's like well, I just mentioned it before. I think he's an outside shot to have a, have a crack at starting it at some point. What about on the other side? Like it's very easy to say regress, regression candidate is LeBron because he's thirty nine, but he's he's LeBron and he's thirty nine. That that probably you probably at some point at some point something he's going to step back a little bit more. That's first of all, I just want to make clear for anybody who's you know already the wheels are turning. When I say Max Christie is a breakout candidate, I'm not recommending you take him on your fantasy team, like statistically, I'm not saying he's going to be that type of breakout guy. I just think he's going to have a breakout in terms of his utility as a player. LeBron is my regression candidate. Yep. Um, not that I think he's going to be washed king or anything like that, but you started seeing his stats drop last season, both from the field overall, but also from behind the arc where – couple of spurts aside, he often really struggled. And more than that, Josh, it's not that LeBron can't perform at a high level because we saw last year he can, and he made third-team All-NBA. And his game four against the Nuggets in that you know, loss, uh, series-ending loss, that was one for the ages. But LeBron used to make dominance look so much easier than it does now mm. like you see the sweat with lebron you see the laboring with lebron and he has admitted it's harder for him now you know it's just it's more difficult and at some point your body stops cooperating in the same way lebron has you know pushed this to the absolute limit like he it's mind-boggling that he can produce at the level that he does there's no template for what he does but the way it started to look more difficult makes me think that he is a relative regression candidate. I, I want to make this also clear. If you have the opportunity to get LeBron on your fantasy team, highly recommend you draft him. He's still going to be very, very good. He's still going to stuff a stat sheet. But I think you're going to start seeing more outward signs of the age even more than we've been seeing over the last couple seasons. I don't think there's really any argument with that. Honestly, like he's 39, like this, it's it's already, it is habit. It's harder. He can't do it as consistently, as often as he has in the past. He's still awesome, but we see those things drop off. Now, Andy, we get to talking about wins. This team was 43 and 39, 17th in net rating, plus 4.4. But as we said, this was a team that changed their course 67% of the way through the season. Fangel has them at 47 and a half wins for the upcoming season. I've got them at 47. You've got them at 49 and 33. And I've just hedged under a little bit on that one just because, you know, if Anthony Davis and LeBron play 50 games each, then that is hard to get to. But if they play 60 games plus each, then they probably go over 50. And that's that's the tough thing for me. So I'm just sort of, you know, betting against the health of a 39-year-old and Anthony Davis who's been injured so much. I've gone with 47, but 49 is not unreasonable to me. No, I mean, look, maybe this is me, you know, wish casting a little bit, you know, wanting them to be good, both because I'm a fan of the team and have been for a long time, well before this with my job. And also because this is my job, the better they are, the more uh, my wallet tends to benefit. So <laughs> always going to be rooting for that. But I also feel like if you look at how well they managed to gel post deadline last year with absolutely no time to get on the same page, often without LeBron mm. and sometimes without D'Angelo Russell. No training camp, you know, no ability to you know, just work on stuff that you keep in your back pocket and you don't even break out until later in the season. They managed to gel that well. 
I feel like if LeBron and AD can just stay reasonably healthy, like maybe they both play 59 games, 60 games, you know, where they miss a quarter of the season each. If the rest of the guys can manage to stay healthy and a few other guys take some steps in their development, we talked about Austin Reeves, if Rui Hachimura can build, you know, off the momentum he had, uh, certainly in the playoffs, if D'Angelo Russell can be consistent, um, Gabe Vincent builds off his own playoff performance, I think this is a better team than the one that went to the Western Conference Finals last year. Um, so I'm going to be bullish and say 49 wins. Fair enough. I can I can see all of those things happening. I can see so many different outcomes for this team, and they did start to play well. And now that off season is a key part of getting these guys together and and working on stuff that's really hard to do when you all come together in February. Now, Andy, we're going to end this by playing a grid game for the Lakers, and you you are like a few of the other hosts hadn't played these games before, so I had to do. A bit, we explained it, and I think we, I hadn't. I think we're I think we're here. I think we're ready to go. Lakers. I think so we're gonna we're comparing the Lakers, Lakers and Kings, Lakers and Mavs. Lakers and Cavs, Lakers and Magic, Lakers and Celtics. And the last one is Lakers and All-Star. And I'll explain that All-Star one now. What we're looking to do is get the low scores. We're looking to get players who have played fewest games, right? So when we look at, say, Lakers and Kings, we look at the games played for each franchise. I choose the smaller of those two numbers, and then I rank all of those numbers between all the players. The lower the, lower the games played, the better the score for you. With the All-Star, they have to have made an All-Star game while a member of the Lakers, and then they are ranked in terms of fewest career games played for the Lakers. All right, right, that makes sense. But now, do, does the fewest games for the other team matter as well? For the for those other ones, it is whichever number is the smaller. So if someone's played five hundred games for the Lakers and then they made a two game cameo for another team, that two game is what I count. Or if they're a player who was a legend for another team, maybe it's like okay. A, maybe let's, let me have a look at this for a second. Maybe it's like yeah, Carl Malone who played. 900 games for the Jazz and then came and played you know, for five minutes with the Lakers, then that fight, that smaller amount is what we counted at. We count okay. the, the, small, I'm the gonna, small numbers. I'm going to do my best. I'm All right, do let's my go. Best. So we are beginning with Lakers-Kings, correct, if I'm reading this board? You can, you can start whichever one you want. Okay, uh, let's go Lakers-Kings-Damian Jones. Damian Jones is a correct answer. He has obviously played for both teams, and it's a really good score on that as well because he only played 30 games in his Lakers career, which is a very, very small amount. I thought he would have played more than that. That's a 6.4 out of scale of 0 to 100, Andy. That is a very, very good start to get a low score like that. We're looking for the lowest scores possible. All right, where do you want to okay. go? Where do you want to go next? Let's go Lakers, Mavericks, and God, I hate. I hate using him here because he's one of my all-time favorite players and human beings, but for these purposes, I think he works very well. Lamar Odom. Lamar Odom is a correct answer because he, again, barely played with the Mavericks, although there were quite a few other scores that were lower than his. 26.2 is not a bad score on a, on a scale of 0 to 100. I should have mentioned this to you earlier as well. You can only use a player once, so you can't double them up um, uh, in different squares here, but Lamar Odom is a 26.2. Hmm. Let me tell you who would have been a really interesting score. Um, Darren Collison played three games oh. for the Lakers. That would have been a it would have been an interesting yes. one. Derek, Derek Fisher's nine-game Dallas Sojourn. Remember when he uh, got traded there? Then what? Wow! Didn't he fake retire or something and then came back later on? I forgot about that. I completely forgot that Fish was with. Dallas at all. What about um, oh wow? What about Isaiah Thomas's one game for uh, Dallas? I don't recall that ever happening. But apparently that I happened. didn't know that he played one game I for Dallas. Know, I, 
flat out didn't know. And then Mar- Markeith Morris got eight games for the uh, for the Mavericks last season as well. So there was quite a few. Huh. Actually, there was. I a- forgot about that. Costas Antetokounmpo two games for Dallas. There were qu- there were some absolutely random ones in that Lakers and Mavericks uh, column. Which one are we going to? Well, now I next? truly feel bad for doing this to LO. <laughs> now I I feel awful now. <laughs> then, all right, where are we going to head to next? Let's go Lakers Cavs. Lakers Cavs. All right. Ira Nubel. Man, you are the second person who's dropped an Ira Nubel on this show for one of these grids. And that is an absolutely fantastic pull because he played six games as a member of the Lakers. Um, yep. I covered them. Wow. I That is... I can't believe... Really good guy. Really, really good guy. Ira Nubel, 0.81. I think it was Brad Rowland on Locked on Hawks that dropped an Ira Nubel. Uh, in there as well. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's that's okay. That's amazing. He was he was with the Lakers the year that they went to the finals, 2008, late season edition. Uh, that team that went all the way to the finals and then lost to Boston. It, really nice guy. I liked Ira. There you go. Six six games for the Lakers for him. All right, what are we doing next? Magic, Celtics, or the uh, All Star? Okay, let's go Lakers. Magic. All right. Mo Bamba barely played with the Lakers. That is correct. He did barely play for the Lakers. That is a fantastic score because he played nine games only for the Lakers. Andy, oh, I know. You are well ab- aware. You are absolutely nailing this so far. Bumba gets a 2.39 score there. That is re- really, really strong. Now, obviously, there were the big names like Dwight Howard and Shaq. Shaq would have been the worst score you could have possibly gotten because of how many games he played for both franchises. Let's see who else is in here that would have got you. Well, Channing Fry, his nine-game Laker career would have gotten you a pretty good score as well. And um, someone by the name of Mark McNamara. Do you have any recollection of Mark McNamara playing for the Lakers? No. 72 games for the Lakers and two for the Magic. All right, Celtics. When I don't know, I'll have to look that up. But apparently, okay. he's a he's a real player that played games for both of those teams. Let's have a look. Mark eighth between eighty three and ninety one, he played. So okay. he played. I'll forgive myself. His last, he played thirty nine and thirty three games for the Lakers, and then went to the Magic in 90, 91 and played two games there. There you go. Okay, Lakers Celtics. I have one that I think is really good. I cannot remember, though, off the top of my head if this guy got waived by the Celtics or not. But I'm going to take a chance. Gary Payton. Gary Payton. Gary Payton is a correct answer. He did play for both of these squads. He actually played more than you would think. He actually played 82 for the Lakers, and he played 77 for the Celtics. Oh, See, that's where I went wrong. I thought he got waived. No. Can I can I throw out a different one just to see if I would have done better? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, this doesn't count. I know it doesn't count. Shimon Williams, did he play for the Celtics? Shimon, oh yeah, he did. He did. It's He played 30 games for the Lakers and 51 for the Celtics. Would have gotten you a 6.55 score. So that would have ah, worked. I debated Shimon. I'll tell you what would have been a good one. Matt, Matt Ryan, Matty Ice, played one game for Boston. You could have dropped. You could have dropped him in there. I didn't know. <laughs> I genuinely, or, did not know. Or the three games that Vander Blue played for Boston and seven that he played for the Lakers. That's Vander Blue played for Boston. Apparently, I don't know. I don't know when that. I happened. covered Vander. I I do not recall that at all. Three games for him for the Celtics. All right, last one is Lakers All Star. They have had nineteen players in their history make an All Star game while playing for the Lakers. We want to find the player who has played the fewest career games for the Lakers to get the best score here. The fewest career games for the Lakers? Fewest career games for the Lakers. 
Now, I just to clarify, mm-hmm. does this guy have to have been an all-star as a Laker or just play the fewest amount of games? Both. Just to make sure I under, I, I'm not totally sure I understand. He, he needs to have made the all-star game while a member of the Lakers, and then we grade all of those guys by who played the fewest games for the Lakers. Well, the Laker, the guys who made all-star teams as a Laker – tended to play a lot of games for the Lakers. I'll, I'll give you a hint here. The fewest games played was 144 by, okay. um, by then the I Lakers. Think, I think, I, if nothing else, I think I have a good answer. Mm-hmm. Andrew Bynum. Andrew Bynum is not a bad answer. Andrew Bynum has played, he played two, 392 games for the Lakers. So, you get to a score of 20.63, which is a pretty good score overall. The lowest games career Laker games played for an all-star was Cedric Sabalos. Played 144 games. Oh, I, for- I forgot Sed made an all-star team. I completely <laughs> forgot about that. The second best answer would have been Anthony Davis because he only played 194 games for the Lakers. So there you go. Wow. And the next one was Dwight Howard because he only played 205 games for the Lakers. But did he? Apparently he Dwight- did. Apparently he made an all-star game. Dwight made the All-Star team because I, I, I covered that season. Dwight, I've got, I think I've got I the list. Think... I'm going to bring it up here because I, th- I think that was back when fan voting was counting a lot more. Okay, so because let me double Dwight check. Was, Dwight yeah. was both unpopular that season mm-hmm. and by his standards didn't play well. I didn't think he made the All-Star team that the, year. The 12-13 season, Dwight Howard made the All-Star team, but that that wow. was before they changed the fan voting rule. So I'm guessing okay. that's that's how okay. he made it in that one there. So it was him and, I, him and Kobe. Got to be that totally year. honest, I did not realize he made the all-star team that year. Otherwise, he would have been my choice. Yeah, that's, I didn't think he made it. There you go. He did. The power of the fans. Andy, and that will bring it to the end of our show. Thank you for coming on. Tell us what you've got going over on at Locked On Lakers at the moment. Well, first of all, I want to know, like, is that Flipgrid overall score? Is that decent? It, was, is that- it was a good score, but I haven't tallied up everyone's score yet. At the end, I'm going to send an email company-wide to tell everyone how who the worst host is and who needs to be fired and who the best one was and who needs a promotion. So it was a very good score, though, from you. Okay. Uh, as far as what we got going, um, Brian and I have had a lot of really good guests lately. Um, we've both been taking some vacations, but we've been getting some other people to really, uh, really fill in nicely for us. Um, we are going to be, you know, keeping an eye out for the 14th roster spot, which sounds trivial, but for the Lakers, because Rob Palinka has already said that it's going to be a big man. Um, that's actually really important because, like what we talked about before, Josh, uh, Jackson Hayes has a lot of question marks. And beyond that, unless you're really a believer in Colin Castleton, they have nobody to back up Anthony Davis at center unless you want to play small ball LeBron, small ball Rui Hachimura. I'm going to be trying to get a few former Lakers on as guests uh, during this you know, down period. How about try for Ira Nubel? I should try for Ira Nubel. <laughs> um, it, uh, unfortunately, I think his Flipgrid score shows that uh, he, he may not pop. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> as the, uh, as the, the industry people talk about it. But um, look for a few former players. You know, try, to fill, try to fill some of the space that way. But we are definitely chugging along even during these uh, dog days of August. Andy, thank you for coming on, chatting Lakers. Go check out Locked On Lakers. Andy, it's been a pleasure as always. Yeah, this is always fun, man. Thank you. And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up and leave those comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone.
Sager.